This conference will now be recorded. Hello and welcome to another episode of Alpha Podfight, the podcast where every episode I'm joined by guests and we talk about a single copy of the comic Alpha Flight single issue with the comic alpha flight um this time i'm joined by anthony anthony could you explain to the listeners who you are well hi there listeners my name is anthony kuchar um i am a comic book uh critic writer i write for dc in the 80s um on uh dc in the 80s blog spot i'm also a theater student and i um interested in working in theater in canada uh, especially here in niagara so yeah that's kind of what i'm all about cool well thank you for coming on and the comic that we're going to talk about today is alpha flight annual number one while i was saying that i was trying to remember if there's anything else i normally say at this point but i don't think there is i think we just just do that so (laughs) so if you so alpha flight annual number one uh came out in 1986 uh it's called homebody Bill Mantlow was on script. Larry Stroman did layouts with Jerry Talawak on finishes. Uh, Janice Chang did the letters. Bob Sharon did the colours. Carl Potts edited, and Jim Shooter was the editor in chiefing, as he's listed here. Um, could you give a? It's um, it's double size, obviously, because it's an annual, so it's a giant. It's giant size. It's quite big. Um, could you give a rundown of what happens in the comic? Okay. So first of all, we start off um, on page one. We got a nice, really big splash page of um, the uh, Tamarand Island uh, mansion that Alpha Flight is. Uh, that's their main operations at this point. And uh, we start off like we have a little um, paragraph right at the top. It sort of gives a description, and then a narration that says, "I am alive." Yeah. And so it's very so ominous. These two yeah. uh, two narration boxes go at the same time, haven't we? So we've got the the one the red bordered one, which is uh, sort of a, a speaking voice, and then we've got then the normal narrator who appears every now and again. Um, sorry, I've just jumped in the, right on top of you. Carry on. Yeah, no, 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 that's right. Um, so yeah, the red box. We don't really know who it is. It's an unseen individual for most of the first, I'd say, two thirds of the comic, and then we kind of like unless you sort of kind of have uh, you've read some earlier issues and might not you probably have a guess about who it is um but uh yeah so it's an unseen presence very ghostly so then uh going into the comic um the narration starts to talk about you know what has become of me and uh kind of like flies in we kind of have this point of view shot that we fly in through the front doors of the house uh talking about um how they feel the presence uh, are they dead? Uh, it can't be that I'm dead. So then he kind of uh, fly through the front door and then sort of into the living room. Well, more like dining room area. And uh, we've got all of Alpha Flight as of the book currently right now. And they're kind of sitting down for dinner. And uh, it's actually a very nice little scene. Um, actually, I like it a lot because it sort of gives you an idea about like what all the personalities are at this time yeah. in the book. Um, Get a lot of like visual sort of choreography going on you've got heather who's sort of serving dinner um puck's reading a little book which we find out later is a midsummer night's dream uh-huh. uh, he's chit-chatting with mr jeffries um and then on the other side of the table we've got box and uh aurora and they're kind of like swooning around each other and then on right directly across from him on the other side of the table we've got north star kind of looking a little um bored i guess but he's also he's glowering isn't he because he doesn't yeah. approve of laura and roger's relationship yeah yeah and that really comes across he's got definitely got this like unimpressed look on his face um yeah and then we got uh we've got um shaman who's just sort of like standing at the window and sort of looking out into the darkness yeah um, he's detached from humanity now isn't he because um, he started. Uh, are you familiar with what's going on? Because he's got his um, black and white costume on as well. Yeah, I don't know it's if you've a different read the issues costume. leading up to this. 
yeah than what I've normally seen. So like what happened to him at this point? I'm not really sure. So um, leading up to this, what's happened is that um, Talisman, his daughter, took on the role of the Talisman and it sort of robbed her of her humanity. And part of him saving her was taking on the role of Talisman himself. And part of that means wearing that uh, tiara. Uh, it's like got a red gem on it and a yellow band. So part mm -hmm. of that and, and taking on that means that he's closer to the spirit world, but it also means that he um, is detached from humanity. So he's less and less human the longer he wears it. So is he sort of like becoming like kind of like a god or something like that? Sort of like how um, like Snowbird is? Um, no, it's not really got. It's more attuned to uh, to the earth and, and the spirit world. But he hasn't got like god powers, but he has more control over like native spirits. Uh, and they don't show it very much in this particular comic. I think there's one or two instances of it. But um, so he is more powerful, but he's less human with it. Um, uh, it's, it's an interesting way for the character to have gone. He's much grimmer, um, and uh, but also less prone to um, doing a shaman. So I don't think he makes any substantial mistakes in this comic. Uh, we'll double check as we go through. But um, no, may, maybe being the talisman and saved him from himself a little bit. Um, yeah, that's an interesting uh, idea because like. You know, I think as you've pointed out in the past, um, Shaman kind of, he's sort of um, like the stereotypical trope of like the wise sort of native man who knows mm. all and, you know, he, he he's in tune with the earth. And yet the comic in its way sort of subverts that because you've pointed out he makes a lot of mistakes over the past. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of mistakes, but um, including I mean, because he ended up with the the uh, the tiara because he told Talisman to wear it, uh, and then told her afterwards that she'd never be able to take it off again, and she was stuck being Talisman. So, uh, yeah, that's just one example of of Shaman fluffing up. Uh, but yeah, so that's Shaman, and who else is uh, that's oh, apart from Snowbird, Snowbird's in there as well, and she's being uh, very quiet because oh, the other thing that you wouldn't have if you haven't read the issues leading up to this and uh, no spoilers for a 1986 comic is that she married doug um from the earlier burn run and they had a mm -hmm. child but that child turned into a baddie called pestilence and uh they over a number of issues they fought him and doug ended up getting killed so she's now a widow who's lost her child so oh. she's even more detached from from uh humanity than she was before and she mentioned it later on but they don't dwell on it because because it's an annual they just sort of uh punt their way through the plot a little bit more and they actually spend more time developing aurora and box's relationship than they do anybody else's um, yeah yeah because like um aurora you know it's really interesting in this issue like there's a actually i, I made a note there's a couple of times where she's got painting glamour shots of herself up on the wall and I don't yeah. know if those are like uh, blown up painting uh, pictures or they're actually like portraits of her. Yeah. Um, but I like it because it really does add like a bit of flavor to the mansion, like, and also kind of like makes her sort of look a bit like an egotist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's it exactly. Yeah. Uh, but they're all having dinner. Heather's Heather's fussing about making sure they've all got food. Um, North Star says some pretty terrible things about Roger Box. Uh, he makes an offhand comment that. Um, Snowbird should turn into Sasquatch to teach Aurora what a real man would do, which is a really weird way to go about this. Um, and then um, uh, moving on from there, oh, we go back to the ghost. So the ghost is moving through the house, having observed Alpha Flight having dinner. Yes, and it, the spirit is kind of talking about how like this is their house. So this is already kind of given the reader who might not be familiar um, with previous stories. Cause like, there's a good chance, cause I don't know about you, but like whenever I see an annual, I kind of like to pick them up maybe more than a regular issue, just mm. cause it sort of seems like, it's sort of like the Jim Shooter mentality to the max where it's like, you know, this is like, if you're only gonna buy one Alpha Flight comic this year, this is the one you buy. Absolutely, so, yeah. So like, yeah, you were kind of given a little bit of a clue that, oh, you know, whoever this disembodied voice is, is somebody who used to own 
we're living this out. So it's like, it's a ghost story. And we're kind of encouraged to maybe find out like uh, who used to be the owner. Um, so the spirit flies through the, the hallways and it goes down the secret elevator into their little laboratory slash pool and workout area. Um, and uh, kind of like flies over the computer console, the little, um, little table there. And somehow the spirit is able to actually access the computer um, and starts pulling up data on all the members of Alpha Flight. And the, the, uh, the spirit is talking about how uh, they'd encountered, uh, the spirit, had, uh, she'd encountered um, two members of Alpha Flight before. And yep. one of them was Aurora. Yeah, and then there was this Sasquatch, who uh, the ghost laments is now dead because death is too good a fate. Um, yeah, uh, so that's the ghost. Oh, and then the ghost does a really cool thing, which is make the entire house shake. The the mansion alpha screams uh, with a blood curdling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. Causes... That's a really great. <laughs> <laughs> which causes um, everyone to fall over at the table. Uh, it, they think it's an earthquake or an attack and uh, react in the alpha flight way. Uh, and then we go back to the ghost flicking through the computer banks and looks at, there's a really nice shot of um, profiles of different villains. Yeah, um, yeah, we can see a lot see of, some... uh, so we got Deadly Earnest there. Um... Is that Pink Pearl at the top? Pink Pearl, um, and then mixed in with like more famous, uh, sorry, not more famous, but less Alpha Flight baddies, such as Doctor Doom, uh, Mephisto, Modok, Rhino, and a few others that I can't quite make out because they're quite uh, quite loosely done. I think is that Scramble above above Mephisto and like beside Deadly Earnest? It might be. Yeah, that's a good shout, actually. Yeah, it's the original scramble, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, scramble, kind of a pretty famous guy to Alpha Flight. Um, and then if eventually uh, the spirit sort of locks in on one particular villain profile, and it's Diablo, um, master of alchemy, and as the spirit says, my love. Yeah. So the spirit was the lover of Diablo. Yes. So, um, so, I mean, if you've read the previous issues, you probably know who it is by now. Uh, if yeah. not, then it's still an interesting mystery as to who could be. Um, well, also, because the, the next thing you see is the ghost starts mixing uh, chemicals in the secret alchemy lab, um, which makes uh, an electric demon. Yeah, uh, it says here down... an electrical elemental. So it's sort of like, yeah, yeah we're kind of getting into the into Diablo's sort of world here, his his alchemy world, and then the yeah. little the little demon who, I don't know, it, it reminds me a lot. Uh, there was an old episode of the Transformers, the old '80s cartoon, um, yeah, called Creme Zeke. Do you remember that? No, that's not one of my fair uh, fields of expertise, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was like an old episode where um, I don't know how, but like Megatron had created this little electrical demon thing and it just ran around Japan causing chaos. And <laughs> okay. It was kind of like one of the more like really absurd kind of comedic episodes of that show. Right. OK. And the other thing just... it reminds me of is um, the original Scooby-Doo, uh, the intro to that and they had like an electric monster in that it sort of looks a bit like that to me. Oh, yeah. 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 Definitely. I can see that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a trope having a little electrical monster it was just sort of a thing that was like around for a while and you don't really see it too much anymore no i'll tell you what else there's on this page you don't see too much anymore and that's the word single word modem phone <laughs> yes yes this is a pre-internet world we're dealing with here like the uh, oh, not only not only does the ghost actually have like the ghost actually has to dial up where they were uh where he, she's gonna send the um little electrical demon yeah and so she goes ahead and sends him through the phone lines straight to uh as we go new york at the yep. prison they've got there and uh the at the phone at the prison they pick up the phone and uh demon comes right through um zaps around the prison and then finds the uh the jail cell of diablo who was 
pretty surprised at this and he's calling for the guards to kind of like help him out but then he sort of realizes that uh, it's actually an electrical elemental and he kind of knows all about that but he's sort of shocked because like nobody but himself would probably know how to make one although he's starting to kind of get an idea that there might only be one other person that he would have taught that to yeah and uh, then right after that uh, the demon sort of zaps up Diablo and they go flying right through the phone lines again back up yeah. through Canada it's got a, a nice little thing there where it get the, the we see the phone lines as he goes past the uh, entering Canada border gates, <laughs> just in case we weren't sure that he was going back to Canada. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, and just for the record, like there were probably, I mean, even to this day, like there was probably, um, there've been many instances, like the border is very like loose in some places between US yeah. and Canada. And like, it's not like, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, the, even to this day, there's still, like, border crossings that are probably about as, like, they've just got a little piece of plywood kind of arm that kind of comes down right there. <laughs> uh, like a little, pick, like a tiny little picket fence that doesn't even come up to the guard's shoulder. Yeah. Um, so, and there, yeah, there have been actually many instances of people accidentally going into Canada or Americans coming over here by accident. Uh, definitely <laughs> more, yeah, definitely along the, um, like, the parallel. So, uh, like, over the prairie provinces that happens yeah so we uh so anyway we get to uh we see kind of like a we pan up to like a global shot we see the phone line zip zapping across the country and then we kind of go into an underground uh underwater cable pipe uh, that takes yep. them back to the island in, Brit in british columbia um by this point alpha flight has kind of gone back downstairs and they're kind of jeffries is checking the computer seeing like what's going on are they being attacked or anything like that yeah, uh, and they've they've suited up as well. So North Star Puck Vindicator uh, in their costumes. Shaman already was. Mister Jeffries has suited up by rolling up his sleeves because <laughs> um, he hasn't. I don't think he's ever had a suit, uh, which is one of the reasons why I love him so much. Uh, but yeah, so he's he's tapping away on his computer. Um, uh, they have a little conversation about Shaman wearing the tiara and not eating or sleeping and being less human. And then they decide to go and search for any intruders. Um, uh, and at that point, they all leave the room. Mr. Jeffries goes to touch the computer and gets electrified by the computer and then trapped in a lift with the ghost sort of... Uh, has trapped him in the oh, uh, uh, by this point have we found out that the ghost is the actual house i mean yeah i think it's kind of like implied that, like the ghost is sort of possessing the house because yeah like as as we know um the uh the ghost was a had used this house for ne nefarious purposes for a long time and i think kind of had like a was very deeply tied into the geography and like the landscape of this house it kind of reminds me and I haven't seen the show yet, but um, have you seen The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah, so I haven't quite seen it yet, but I, I from what I gather from people who've seen it, they're kind of talking about how like um, like the house, like a haunted house sort of a thing has like a memory and it kind of um, is in tune with a certain spirit. Um, yeah, and sort it's of a little bit like that, yeah. 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 And um, we know, we know like the person who, sure, go ahead. Uh, there's also like stone tape theory, which is that locations record spirits and then replay them back. Um, and then there's a, there's uh, there's a sci-fi film from the 90s, I think, called I think it's called Demon Seed, where a uh, an apartment block or an office block becomes sentient and uh, starts killing people. So, so it's sort of it's been done to sort of the haunted house. The, the ghost is the house rather than a ghost living in a house um yeah yeah and but actually, i like the a... way that they've done it in this yeah sorry carry on yeah no um i was just remembering there was a movie i saw about like a year and a half ago and i can't remember the title but um the, basically the concept was that it was like an electrical glitch but this electrical okay. glitch was sort of like conscious and sentient and it just made life hell for this little family that just kind of moved into a new house. It wasn't really anything 
supernatural like it wasn't like a demon or a ghost or like any or a spirit or anything it was just like but it, the way it would cause things everything was sort of plausibly deniable like at one point um like the garage door opener breaks while the kid's in the garage and then the car just happens to accidentally turn on because the key was in the ignition and it starts filling up with like carbon monoxide or dioxide and only by like the nick of time do they actually save the kid from suffocating but it's like when they bring in the inspectors they go well it was just like an accident you know it was just like yeah. a one in a billion chance but they're like this keeps happening over and over um sounds like where final, like, I, I mean i haven't seen the film you're talking about but it sounds like final destination where they're haunted by death itself they cheat death by accident and then get hunted down by the spirit of death yeah yeah it's like sort of like just sort of like random things keep happening um and uh yeah so carrying on we uh mr jeffries is trapped in the elevator and uh not far away there's another elevator shaft where we've got uh puck and shaman sort of opening it up and flying in but uh then they get caught in some kind of little like whirlwind yeah. uh that yeah. knocks shaman out cold and puck is sort of just like flailing around uh yeah. unable to do anything it's quite a nice little thing because um puck makes uh well he thinks this that um shaman for all his power is actually weaker physically than puck it's just a nice little thing because um puck gets quite short thrift with um bill mantler writing so it's quite nice that um he, that we've, we've got this little thing here that shows that puck's actually pretty tough um anything any little thing like that i like to just like latch on to <laughs> yeah yeah no it's yeah puck is a great great little character um you know very scrappy um it's kind of unfortunate like they they kind of uh, mantlo sort of created that weird backstory about him being like yeah uh like actually like a hundred year 109 years old or something like that and also yeah. he was like born normal height but then sort of because of a magic genie curse he yeah that that was a shame um but yeah uh, I still not covered that issue. I gave I gave the uh, a copy of that issue to a friend of mine because I thought she'd have a really interesting she'd have interesting things to say about it, but she's refused and she's kept the comic. So uh, yeah, <laughs> one day we'll cover, one day we'll cover that. Um, so uh, Puck and Sharman are being hurled around in I think it's in a lift, isn't it? They're in an elevator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then North Star um... decides to race around the house but somehow the house is able to infinitely extend itself so that he never gets to the end of it. Uh, and I like the idea of that. I'm not sure how it works on a practical level. Um, there's a bit I of House of Leaves. Have you read House of Leaves? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Um, so in that, there's a, there's a house which the, it's got a, a secret sort of inside dimension which can infinitely uh, shape itself. So it's a bit like that. It's, it's, I mean, it's a good, uh, what we're looking at, 10, 15 years before House of Leaves. But yeah, I think that's the, the sort of logic we need to need to assume we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. There's a nice, uh, on that page you're talking about, there's a nice little panel uh, in the upper right-hand corner where North Star is sort of peeking around, sort of putting his back up against the wall, sort of peeking around the corner. And there's mm. a portrait of of his sister right up on the wall yeah and i think i like that because it's very it's almost noir like in a way it's like very um thematic to the book as a whole like it doesn't really add like only people who've been reading alpha flight for a little while would kind of get that like you know his his uh, complicated relationship with his sister and sort of her glamour mm. uh and stuff like that but yeah like i can i could just imagine like if you know him running down the hallway it's sort of like that scene in Poltergeist where uh, near the end of the movie where um, the girl is being like sucked into the other dimension mm. and her mom's trying to run down the hallway. And yeah. it's, it's sort of like, um, I think it's like that camera angle. It's sort of that weird focus thing. Yeah. I love the way they've done the way that uh, this has been expressed in the comic because he's always in relation to the door. He's the same distance that so they, they put like they've, uh, the way that they've decorated the corridor is that they've got these um, patterns along it. So you can see that he's always two blocks away from the door, but then they move him to the right and 
um, make the, it smaller so they extend the space while keeping him in the same place it's just it's a really clever way of doing it yeah yeah it's um because it's like you know you, you i bet you bill mantlow had kind of like maybe watched poltergeist before he uh wrote this comic and he was just like yeah. how could i put that into a comic and like kind of make it convincing yeah. on the page that makes sense uh, right, I'm aware that we've only we've just got to page 15, and we've got <laughs> at least yeah. three quarters of the book left to go. So, um, because as uh, once we've got through this, there's there's tons of stuff to talk about in here. So sure. then we see um, Aurora is outside. She's not looking. Vindicate says, "Oh my God, I can't believe you're not looking." Um, they get sucked into the ground. So Aurora changes into Sasquatch to save her. Vindicate says, "I can't believe you turned into Sasquatch. That could turn you evil." Aurora says. Uh, it might do, but not for a while. And then they start, the house all slams shut. They realise that the house is living somehow. They start trying to bash their way in. But um, every place that they impact, that bit of the house gets stronger. Uh, then we flip to uh, this really interesting scene with uh, Aurora is in the swimming pool. So considering they should be looking for the source of the earthquake or whatever it is, Aurora and Roger have decided to go swimming. Uh, Aurora is in her bikini, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. and Roger is just swimming about. And then the box suit, which has been standing next to the pool, starts falling over. Roger throws Aurora out of the way, gets crushed by the robot under the pool, and then Aurora gets sucked into the mirror. Um, so then now she's stuck in a mirror dimension. Uh, box um phases into his robot and jumps out of the pool and then we find oh and then we get to diablo who's just been zapped through the phone line into the house um and i love this take on diablo because with sort of minor baddies like this they get written in all sorts of funny ways depending on who's writing them but in this he's just written as like this like this coward this desperate coward is just well, like yeah. trying to get out yeah and it's sort of like diablo's sort of like whole take on this whole uh sequence like i don't know where he sort of was in marvel continuity at the time but like his whole sort of take is that like i have fought superheroes you know since like the fantastic four when yeah. i like because i guess he was like in a he was holed up in a castle for a hundred years or something and then well he's, he's supposedly He's a thousand years old, uh, and he, through alchemical means, he's able to prolong his life that long. So, so he's been alive for a thousand years. He's learned alchemy, and then um, he's a Fantastic Four baddie, and he got beaten up so soundly by the Fantastic Four and put in prison that he's decided that he's not going to be a baddie anymore because he's tired of the stress. Um, and that's where we find him in this comic, um, with him sort of. Uh, he runs into Box in the in the corridor. And is like, I do not want any part of this. Oh, no, it's got it here. So um, in this little caption uh, on page 23, it says, sent to prison after a sound thrashing by the Fantastic Four. He's sworn to reform, at least to the extent that he would never be so stupid as to oppose super beings again. And that caption is sat above box going to punch him. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. But then the walls sort of crush box in and trap him allowing yeah. Diablo to run away and a secret door opens and we see the ghost say this way beloved uh, yes yeah and so then um Diablo kind of gets th goes through the door uh his, there's a little laboratory with some beakers and uh, chemicals and alchemy sort of happening and then out of the beakers a form begins to arise and it is none other than Gilded Lily um yep. the villain from alpha flight 20 and 21 i who, think that's, uh, that's, that's about right yeah i think that's it yeah and uh this is the reunion of the two lovers uh diablo had taught gilded lily which i think her name is like lillian van Lute or something like that something uh, she was yeah. a victorian lady who had uh just a little tiny bit of backstory if you hadn't read those issues um, she was a Victorian lady who had met Diablo and uh, she kind of like found him in a like a horse carriage accident or something. And he yeah. brought her he brought her back and he taught her alchemy. Uh, but before they were supposed to take over the world, he got 
locked up in his castle for a hundred years and she yeah. went to British Columbia and sort of created like this house of horrors to kind of like um I basically like uh guild all of her ex-boyfriends and turn them into gold and turn them into these little gold all these of her husbands, yeah she was a classic yeah. black widow yeah she yeah and she's got this very like yes yes and she has this like gold uh this gold mask that sort of looks like like a flapper from the 20s or something like that yeah and it's so, a really effective look and uh, she's got this big hood which makes it look like her face is like the anther of a lily mm -hmm. um uh and then uh, we don't actually get to see it very much in this comic but under the robes she's just like a really skeletal robot um yeah but she's very she's like creepy but also glamorous at the same time so that that sort of 1920s haircut um is sort of a glamour thing um and then she embraces diablo he's not particularly happy to see her uh but then she um alchemically puts his costume onto him um which is uh, a good use of powers they do a quick rundown of of how she got here which was that um uh, sasquatch um i can't remember exactly what it did but basically um she shriveled away to nothing but then the dust of her desiccating body fused with the house which is why she's able to control the house now um it's almost like uh her the house is sort of like a horcrux or something like that from like harry potter or something <laughs> yeah a little bit like that yeah. Um, and then she she reveals her grand plan, which is to get Diablo to use his power to bring her a body. Uh, and her grand plan is to use, I think it's at this point, she says, but she wants to use Aurora's body. Um, and she wants to put her consciousness in there. And he's and he says, no way, I'm not helping you. Um, uh, what does he say? I'm not sure I want to be joined to some century-old female fury who's every bit my alchemical equal. It's just, just like the most, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, eloquent way to dump someone who's just broken you out of prison. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, he didn't yeah. really ask to be broke out of prison, to be fair. But, um, no, no. Yeah, but uh, like he was kind of... Um, it's kind of he is being you know it is a bit put upon him but he is sort of like you know oh i don't know if i want to you know he's he sort of says here uh yeah his alchemical equal and so he's basically kind of measuring up his powers against hers and he's thinking like oh you know maybe you know it was fine to date her back when i was the mass uh, the master but now it's like it's sort of yeah. like a vader kind of palpatine thing going on where it's like Oh, I don't know if I want to date her if uh, she's more powerful than I am. Yeah, there's and, a bit uh, of Lily, that. Yeah, yeah, and Lily really doesn't take this well, you know, and you get this big what kind of thing. It's so loud you can hear it outside the house. The mansion quakes. Yeah. Um, and I guess in this moment of distraction, uh, Vindicator and um, uh, Aurora, uh, Aurora are able to, no, not Aurora. Uh, Snowbird. Snowbird. They're able to break back into the house and all of the other members of Alpha Flight that are trapped in their various uh, places are able to break free. Um, Sasquatch and Puck, Mr. Jeffries and Box and uh, Northstar, they all break free in one big panel. Mm. So they're all kind of like on their way to get the bad guys. And uh, then we get back to Gilded Lily and Diablo kind of having a really bad lover, splat, uh, lover spat yeah uh, and she says you will help me and he says i won't and then she says either you will help me or i'll let them have you and he says what and he looks over and alpha flight are rushing through the door so she's basically threatening him with alpha flight um so and he starts having a freak out uh, and he's like yeah i will help you <laughs> um oh no sorry he says uh he says i i will use my weapons um and then she says well, she kind of gets in a little dig at him here well she because it says here it's like he says i'm still diablo master of alchemy you restored my potions my weapons like yeah. saying like oh i can take alpha flight and then she kind of says to him none of which have ever one of you of anything in the defeat in the past may yeah. those curse you 
So yeah. it's sort of like, you know, sort of like when couples break up, like they're starting to get the uh, the digs in and uh, there's a little <laughs> bit of passive aggressiveness going on here. A little uh, bit. And so then she says, um, uh, I'll save you from them. And he says, all right, I'll do it. So then she sort of like creates a portal in the floor, which she they sink through, uh, leaving Alpha Flight stuck, uh, unable to get to them. Um, and then I think my favorite bit in the comic here. So uh, there's there's two reasons why it's my favorite bit in the comic. One is that um, we've got this really cool thing where you can see Gilded Lily and Aurora on the other side of the mirror. Um, and they're sort of in negative, which is interesting in itself. Um, and Gilded Lily explains that she wants to have her uh, consciousness put into Aurora's body. And then Diablo's like, well, if you're going to look like her, maybe I will help you out. This is this is my this is a really good idea. Um, yeah, but then uh, he is uh, Alpha Flight burst in through the wall because uh, they found him. Um, and what happens next? Uh, uh, they all have a big fight. <laughs> and then Gilded Lily uh, creates a little sandstorm to kind of like, right. uh, sort of like uh, confuse everybody. And uh, they're yeah, they're in a little dust storm. They they're trapped in this underground basement. Gilded Lily's got her hands on Aurora's throat, and she's uh, she's telling uh, Diablo to hurry up while there's still time. And so he starts going over to his lab experiments. He's getting his test tubes to do the process. Yeah. Looking terrified the whole time as well. So he's not enjoying himself, um, which is a nice touch. Uh, and uh, yeah, and Gilded Lily keeps on attacking. Um, Heather uses her powers to break free of the sandstorm. Uh, and she... She does one of the like electric charges things, um, and then they all rush the mirror again. Oh, and, and so Diablo has created a potion which, if it's given to Aurora, will transfer. I don't know how alchemy works. I'm pretty sure it's not like this. But if he gives the potion to Aurora, then Gilded Lily's consciousness will transfer into Aurora's body. Uh, but before he's able to pass over, North Star and Puck attack him. And the test tube goes flying towards the mirror. And then Gilded Lily reaches out of the mirror to catch it. And when she does, Aurora turns on her blinding light thing, catches the test tube and drinks the potion. Oh, no, she doesn't. Sorry. She chucks the potion no, uh, down Gilded Lily. That's right. Yeah, she, she kind of turns the tables on Gilded Lily, grabs her by the neck, and then forces the potion down Gilded Lily's throat. Yeah. Uh, which causes Gilded Lily to gurgle no, and then she begins to disintegrate. Um, That's right. As, as uh, Aurora escapes the mirror. And then that's it. Uh, yeah. There's just one page where um, the Mounties turn up on a boat and they put Diablo on the boat. To me, this immediately struck me because I... I've said before, I'm not a fan of, I'm not interested in like chasing down plot holes exactly, but I'm sure the Mounties coming in like a little, like it's not a very fancy boat. I'm sure Alpha Flight could have just flown Diablo back to New York pretty quickly. They've got a jet. Uh, this well, just seems like I mean, this is, like Tamarind Island is in BC, right? So yeah, that would be like on the West Coast, like sort of closer to California. Yeah, so he's really, kind of like really miles away. He's kind of crossed a whole continent here, so probably more like more than likely, in a prisoner exchange, the the RCMP would take him back to probably like Seattle or something like that. Like they'd take him <laughs> yeah. back over to something like there. Um, but yeah, no, it's just a tiny little like boat that you'd go like you know on the lake on. Uh, and yeah, and it, no, he's it's not like he's like a dangerous criminal or anything like that who's like defeated the you know gone up against the Fantastic Four and others like they've just got him in like these little bars and it's like yeah it just takes two officers to uh yeah take him back into custody yeah uh, considering he didn't want to be broken out of prison in the first place um yeah but that's how that's how it ends and they all go home uh and that's the that's the issue um so uh <clears throat> now that we've been through that the, the next two points are what did you really like about this comic and was there anything that you didn't like about the comic 
Well, um, I would say what something I really liked about the comic, um, I really liked Larry Stroman's art. Uh, I really liked the kind of spooky sort of architecture he really gives the um, the mansion. Uh, he gives yeah. a lot of these like very like sinister kind of angles, um, long corridors, uh, shots of like through mirrors, um, candles in the background, stuff like that. Yeah, um, and I, he's really I really able to give a sense of atmosphere to it. He is, yeah. So his, I think, because he did the layouts, and then uh, Jerry Taylor did the inking, the embellishing, right? And I, th I really like Larry Stroman's work on this. I think he does a brilliant job. I do think that they could have afforded to be a bit bolder in the inking. Um, I think it would have been more atmospheric if they'd used more ink. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe yeah. they're hoping that the colouring would would pick up some of the slack. But uh, yeah, but that that's my one criticism of the art. I think that they could have um, done more work on embellishing it, or maybe the colour colourist um, could have done more with it. I'm not sure. Um, but in terms of storytelling, yeah, um, I, I, mean, think, the colouring... I think they do an amazing job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Karen. certainly. You know, in some ways, the art kind of reminds me a lot of like um, Mike Mignola's sort of air, uh, work around this time. Like, mm. um, if you look at like some of his like sort of pre-Hellboy Marvel work, like even in Alpha Flight, because I think he did two issues of Alpha Flight. He did, at one yeah, point. and then covers for a while, yeah. Yeah, and um, you can kind of get a little bit of almost Hellboy sort of thing going on. I mean, even right down to like say the Gilded Lily character, which in many ways reminds me a lot of like uh the cronin character from hellboy um i've not read any hellboy so um you've got one if you ever there. see them yeah if you ever see the movie there's a the character that character's in the first movie um it's sort of this he was this nazi who had done all oh of these, i know like, the, experiments. this this uh the uh clockwork nazi is that the one yes yes yeah. that's guy that's the guy yeah in fact, he probably reminds me most of Gilded Lily than any other character I can kind of think of. Yeah. Sort of has done so many experiments to their body over so many years that they've, there's nothing really left but dust in their veins. And it's all kind of like just mechanical, a little bit of wire here and there. Mm. Um, yeah, but no, but the ink, like the, a lot of the artwork kind of reminds me a lot of early Mignola. Um, but like I said, pre-Hellboy. Uh, yeah, other things I like... Um, yeah, I just, I, I like that I get, you kind of get a sense of the characters. Um, like if this was your, if like I said, if this was the only Alpha Flight comic you bought in a year, you're kind of brought sort of up to date with what the characters are all about. You get yeah. a yeah. sense of the characters. They're not sort of flattened out. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, because in, I think in many comics, like, especially if it's, you've only read one, it's like, you know, what is the relationship between all these characters and, that's a it's something I really like in this comic. Yeah, I th and often with annuals, or at least my experience of annuals, they, they will take the opportunity to focus in on one character from a team. Um, and I, I don't know if this is true. Of, I've not read that many super that team book annuals, but they tend to focus on one character because it's easier to tell a story about one character than it is. Uh, I think American writers are used to having a lot of space to to create a story with a character. Um, Whereas confining them all to one story or one plot is quite difficult. And I suppose one way around that is that they focused the, they've done that, but with Gilded Lily. So Gilded Lily is the focus of the story uh, and the characters reacting to her. So it's, it's her arc, I guess. Um, yeah. Like if you think about it, this could kind of, like this is like kind of the sequel to like Burns' story. And this is yeah. kind of like the follow-up to that, uh, the original Gilded Lily story, as well as like tying in the mythology of like how Diablo kind of fit into all that. So this kind of like wraps up two different plot lines in two different books. Like this wraps up some Fantastic Four stuff as well. Um, yeah. And things... the other thing that I really yeah. like about this also is that it's um, it feels substantial. Like it's a, it's a good, solid story. But I've just realized as we're talking about it that it doesn't change anything at all about continuity in terms of how the characters are. So mm -hmm. Gildy Lily is still dead at the end of it. Diablo is still in prison and nothing substantial has happened to any of Alpha Flight. 
Um, all we know is that there was a ghost in the house at one point and it's not there anymore. Um, so in terms of how an annual should work, I think it's really good. It's really self-contained, um, but at the same time, it feels it feels worthwhile reading it. Yeah, yeah, you definitely feel like you got your money's worth out of it. And, you know, you might even if you didn't really, you know, care for it too much, at least you're like, well, at least I don't have to get invested in like a whole year's worth of like the next year's worth of storylines yeah. to kind of get caught up. Um, something I don't really like mm. is um, it, it kind of feels like as the, as the book kind of goes on that he's sort of rushing. And I don't know if that's Larry Stroman doing that or if that's Bill Mantlo. Cause, well, because this was I, sort of like, yeah. Now go on, you, you say what you want to say. Oh, so like if this was done sort of like Marvel method, like I was just, um, I was just watching a podcast last night. Um, have you ever heard of the Cartoonist Kayfabe podcast? I've heard of it. I've not, I've not watched any or listened to any now. Yeah. Um, well, they were kind of going over, uh, that's Ed Piskor and Jim Rugg's podcast, and they were kind of going mm. over an old Spider-Man annual from the 80s. It was one done by um, Art Adams. And right. there was a backup feature that was done by Mike Mignola. And they were kind of saying that, like, the first couple of pages of the story are great and it's very open and the characters kind of have like a lot of room to express and it's that Mignola art where he's very like you know expressive and um you know th there's not a lot of captions not even a lot of words and it's like they it really lets the art tell the story but then it's mm. like once they pull to the last page it kind of was just like like six panel like six kind of stacked on each other panels with a lot of captions and a lot of text and it's sort of like if this was done like Marvel method it's like Bill Mantlo might have given Larry Stroman an outline and then it was like oh shoot I'm at the end of the story I gotta like you know kind of wrap things up and it's like yeah so I wasn't really I wasn't really that familiar with Larry Stroman um at all uh, so after I read this I went back and um just googled him quickly and spent a lot of time just scrolling through his Facebook page which is fascinating um he comes across as a really like cool person the sort of creator that you could, I could just really get behind. It just seems like really uh, with it. But in mm -hmm. somewhere in in these stories, he was saying about he liked working Marvel method, but that what he'd do is he'd draw the first two pages and the last two pages, and then work out the middle afterwards. Oh, uh, that, that's interesting. That was that was his way of of forcing the pacing. But I agree that it does end pretty abruptly. So whether or not he did that in this, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, it does end really abruptly. Um, sort of reminds me of like uh, an episode of the A Team or something like one of those action TV programs, like where, Magnum PI or something like that. Yeah, where the ending is really abrupt. They, they spend a lot of time at the start, sort of mucking about. But at the same time, I think it's I think it's paced pretty well, um, and I like the fact that they spend time doing this sort of spooky pacing at the start and and spending time trying to build up an atmosphere uh, and and get the reader asking questions about what might be happening. Uh, I really like that about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, another thing I didn't really understand is like, why are Aurora and Box just like having a, a little pool party in the middle of a crisis? <laughs> yeah, there, there was that, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, and I... I it's, and then it kind of gives her, them an excuse to kind of keep Aurora in her uh, in her bikini. In her um, bikini, I think that might be part of it. Um, the other part of it is this: uh, I quite like the scene though. Just there's the one page, page nineteen, before the rest of it starts happening, where Roger is questioning whether or not why uh, they, they're talking about the fact that North Star doesn't like him, um, and it's quite a nice scene between them. You know, we know from future issues it didn't go well for the two of them um but when told on these terms it's 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 all right i think their relationship seems quite healthy at this point mm -hmm. um yeah so is and, uh, so you know a little bit more about this than i do um is is aurora dating box because she wants to like because she's actually into box or is she kind of got like ulterior well, motives that's a big question in the story whether or not she's on the rebound from walter because walter got killed 
um, when they tried to bring Hulk, it has a whole thing, but Walter got killed. And um, so she's on the rebound from him and she's rebounded onto, onto Roger Box. And it's not really clear if she's actually attracted to him or if she's just sort of emotionally using him. And it is very grey, um, which depending on your view of comic book storytelling is either a positive or a negative. Um, it's not, if it, it doesn't cast Aurora in a particularly uh, positive light uh, if she is just using him uh, consciously or unconsciously. But I think it's, al it's also a human thing to do. Like people do that in real life. So, um, and there's also the gray area around North Star as well, because he says some horrific things about um, about Roger Box earlier in the, in the comic uh, when they sat around the table. Um, he is genuinely nasty. I mean, uh, even again, for like even for the eighties, like some of the stuff he says, like you know, is pretty egregious. Yeah. Um, like, what does he refer to him as? Like, uh, like he's like a half a half a man or something like that. And, um, like yeah, he says, he, like he calls him like a cripple and stuff like that, and it's just like, I mean, yes, you know, the how can my are, sister Aurora fawn so over a cripple? Um, and he makes some he makes some other comments as well. Um, and again, because North Star's a dick, uh, as <laughs> part of uh, one of the fundamental areas of his character is is just he's overprotective of his sister. He is desperate for her attention, and um, he's a dick with it. So, um, yeah. So it is it's, it's an interesting characterization because you feel um, you feel some sympathy towards him, and also horrified by how he expresses his emotions um yeah i think they're quite the the one characterization that i don't like too much mr jeffries doesn't get enough time he's my favorite character he's barely in it and also heather is they've mantlo set her up as this sort of motherly character who who's got cool recipes that everyone can get in and she's sort of like mothering everyone yeah um, also the house is kind of like a jetson house where like she can actually like she talks about like punching up a recipe and yeah. i guess they have like a I don't know, like a Star Trek replicator where they can just like, you know, pull it, uh, open a box and like, you know, meal comes out. Yeah. Um, which is like pretty, you know, impressive. Oh, also there's a little reference here about why Puck has his name Puck. And uh, they're at the dinner table and he's reading Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. And he's like, what are you reading? He's like, oh yeah, this is Shakespeare. And so he's actually, it's confirmed. I don't know if it was confirmed earlier, but it is confirmed that he is named after the Shakespearean character and not well, it says it's his namesake Puck yeah but um there's I don't know if you've read Immortal Hulk which is more recent but there's a really nice line in there where he introduces himself to someone who says my my name's Puck sometimes it's Shakespeare and sometimes it's because uh, this is like a hockey puck so it's both of those things you know um mm -hmm. I, I'm pretty sure when Byrne created him it was more to do with the hockey, hockey puck thing because he he looks a bit like a hockey puck when he's in his costume as well so also the uh, way he moves is very like because like if you ever seen a hockey game, he sort of, like a hockey puck kind of like bounces all around. Like it'll hit yeah. off the it'll hit off um, the stick and hit off the edge, and it's sort of the way that Byrne would draw him is he's sort of like a very bouncy character, like hitting yeah. off the walls and stuff like that. Even down to that spinning movie does where he sort of he cartwheels and he turns into a circle on the page. That's that's puckish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not so much like mischievous though. Like he's not like a. No, he he hasn't got the characteristics of the of the Shakespearean puck. So, so maybe it's not as much Shakespearean as as the writers like to to pretend. Maybe they're just uh, trying to be, uh, you know, they're trying to inflate themselves or something like that. It's like, oh, we've got <laughs> literary merit here. Um, but John Byrne introduced that when Puck had his own solo adventure in issue five. He's reading Shakespeare then. Uh, and it surprises all the nurses because they can't understand why somebody would, uh, why a superhero would be read like yeah. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, yeah. So was there anything else that you wanted to talk about with this issue? Um, not really. Uh, I thought it was a really solid issue. Um, it would have been a good worth for your money. The only other thing I, I just wanted to mention uh, before I'll let you go ahead and talk is that. Um, this when this came out in september of 1986 
Yeah. This was one of three Alpha Flight stories that were on the newsstands at the time. That's right. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. There was a the other the main Alpha Flight series uh, book, which I think was like thirty thirty eight, was also so on. It would have been around there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and also Marvel uh, Fanfare number twenty eight, which featured a North Star. Aurora and Vindicator story done by uh, Bill Mantlo and Ken Stacy of yeah. um, I think that's Nexus fame. So the, yeah, this was the month the of, one, of the eighties the where, where they, they were play really... around. Sorry, that's the issue where they play around with him being a terrorist. I think, um, and he's, he's sort of haunted by his past. I think that's the one I'm thinking of. With his, that's I one with him right. on the cover, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like him on the cover and he's being like grabbed by a robot or something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, so that really, it seems like this is the month that Marvel was really pushing Alpha Flight as a, as a team. Like, so you could make an argument that maybe this was like the peak of Alpha Flight's popularity. Um, the fact that they're in three stories in one month. Um, like, you know, how many other... I think, I think maybe you could, argue, you could argue that way. You could also argue that the peak of its popularity was when John Byrne was on it. And when he left sales started dropping so this could be marvel's way of trying to like regenerate some interest um it's interesting I, because i wasn't oh i was around at the time but i was only six so um and i wasn't reading comics and i lived in in wales where we didn't get comics so um yeah it would be difficult for me to say with any accuracy what was going on but it is interesting that there was that much Alpha Flight, considering there were fewer comics as well. It's not like nowadays when you've got 10 Deadpools a month. Um, and is it two X-Men a week? Is that how often House of Powers think, comes? Out? Yeah, there's like <laughs> three or four. I think there's like six now. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I, I've heard good things about the new X-Men, like, uh, but I haven't read it yet. No, so yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of waiting for maybe a trade to come out to pick that up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So I haven't got much else to say. I think most of what I wanted to say, I've interjected into whatever you were trying to say. Um, oh, no. yeah. Um, yeah. So I, oh, as, so as I did say, want to mention, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt. I did want to mention no. one other thing, like Diablo as a villain. Um, I kind of, I'm sort of familiar with him because I remember seeing an episode of the cartoon, the Fantastic Four, which was the 60s cartoon. Mm. And he was sort of a villain in that. And that was like an adaptation of his first appearance. Right. And uh, his alchemy is kind of depicted in that as like, um, you know, he can kind of like mess with people's minds. He sort of creates a potion to make the thing look a little more handsome. And uh, he uses that to like make the thing turn against the other Fantastic Four and kind of become his servant. Um, which, you know, and then eventually it doesn't work. It's like, it's all a facade. And uh, he does other things like he makes like corn grow in the desert and uh, he creates like a, an elixir that makes tanks uh, invulnerable to bullets and, uh, and shells <laughs> and all that. Well, because the other time that we've talked about Diablo on this podcast was when me and Douglas Noble did, uh, I think it's 82, uh, when Diablo comes back and he has taken over a South American um state south american country and in that he's manic he is very over the top evil uh he like melts people where they stand and um he is all over the shop psychologically um and that's it is so it's the same character in two ways and both ways i like him so in in that version he his over-the-top evilness is a nice counterpoint to the action going on around him um whereas in this i love how how cowardly he is and how what a rubbish baddie he is and he just rushes around desperately trying to get out of trouble until he sees that it might um work to his benefit to sort of get in with his terrifying robot ex-girlfriend um because he might end up with aurora as his girlfriend uh, and then that moment of indecision is what loses it. I, I just really like that characterization of him. Yeah, totally. Um, like, I remember, like, in the old cartoon, which was, like, kind of based very directly off of, like, Stanley and Jack Kirby's sort of vision. He's very um, manipulative of the thing, and he's sort of, like, t treating him like, oh, I'm your real friend. But in some ways, it's kind of like an early parable about drug use. Like he's kind of keep, keeps feeding the thing this elixir, 
and the thing saying, I feel sick. And he's like, oh, it's okay, buddy. You know, I'll, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it works. And then he doesn't take the, the elixir and he turns back and it's like, you lied to me. And he's like, get back, you fool. And he immediately yeah. turns on him. So he's kind of a very odd villain because he's like, he is part of that like classic lineup of like fantastic four villains but like he's very i don't think he's hardly been um put in many like adaptations and a lot of people seem to go very different ways with him like it's not like there's a set formula like with dr doom or like the mole man like there's a very sort of like set idea about what that character is and what they're all about but yeah not so much with diablo which kind of makes him sort of interesting because you can do uh strange adaptations and takes on him but his costume is bonkers. And so if you try to put, so for instance, if you think about characters moving into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Diab- you'd have to do a lot of work to make Diablo work in anything other than a comic. And maybe he'd work in a cartoon. But if you were to put someone with his sort of power set, his like potions and stuff, which can do anything he wants to, um, wearing these clothes anywhere but drawn, it would be ridiculous, I think, uh, and that's what uh, that's one of the reasons I like him. Um, yeah, he's he's one of those characters which I see him on the cover of a comic. I w- I consider buying the comic just off the bat. Um, same as um, Doc Ock or Two Face. Do you know what I mean? You just see them, and you're like, yeah, yeah. That, he's just like one of those very, yeah, yeah. He's just like very one of one of those like very like over-the-top dramatic kind of supervillains um it's not like he's not subtle in any way um what you're saying like to his powers though like his you're right his powers don't make any sense like it's apparently he he's an elemental he can control the elements but he can also whip up a little green goo that can like uh transfer people's souls somehow yeah and it's sort of like maybe it's one of those things because like i remember somebody it was like Joe Casada saying about Doctor Strange. This was like in the mid 2000s. He was saying like the reason we don't have like a Doctor Strange comic going on right now is because I don't like the character because he can kind of do anything and there's mm. no rules about him. And he yeah. gave he gave the counterpoint. He says if you look at like a movie like Toy Story, there's rules as to how the magic works. Like there's rules to the to the universe. There's rules of like to how like the character, like the the toys will always like you know pretend to be asleep or be motionless when there's people in the room, and yeah. everybody agrees yeah. on that. Uh, whereas he says like magic characters in the Marvel universe, there's no rules and they can kind of get away with anything. And he doesn't think he didn't think that that was interesting stories. Hmm. Which is cause the only Doctor Strange I've read, uh, like end to end, is the um, more recent ones with um, Chris Backlund in the art, and and in that the rules was. Because Doctor Strange had been so um, like rampant and rash with how he used magic that he was getting hit by the repercussions of that, like, um, and like he, um, there's uh, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Like, what goes around comes around. So the more magic he uses, the the more it punishes him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was quite a good take on it. But we're not here to talk about Doctor Strange, uh, a book that I read three years ago and barely remember. Um, <laughs> I am going to have to uh, stop the call now um, okay. because, <laughs> sorry, that's a re- I hate ending the podcast, but otherwise I'd sit here for hours. And as I explained to you before we started, I'm in a really, really hot room. I know it's yes. winter outside, but in here um, I've got a sweat on. Nobody needs to know that, um, but I'm too lazy to edit it out. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no so thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's, I've really enjoyed doing this. Um, if people have you got anything to plug and if anybody would like to find you on the internet after this where could they do that uh i don't really have anything to plug right now uh if you want to see any of my past written reviews i've done reviews on um dc in the 80s.com uh if you look me up i've done reviews on the dc miniseries legends which is another john byrne book um i had a lot to say about that i've also done some interviews with chris Pacello, who you mentioned um and I interviewed uh, Peter David two years ago at Fan Expo, or uh, sorry, at Niagara Falls Comic Con. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at Cerebus92 uh, on Twitter, um, Anthony Kuchar. Uh, other than that, yeah, nothing else. Uh, thanks for having me on, Gareth. Oh, no, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Um, 
And if anybody wants to find me online, I am at Gerthink, which I think I'm just going to start saying at GRThink because that's how people can process it mentally. Um, and um, yeah, so if this episode comes out in time on the 8th of December, I'll be at the Catford Comic and Zine Fair. Me and my son, Bill, will be there. Um, he was supposed to have a comic ready. He absolutely will not because he's been too lazy. He's 10 years old, so he's got an excuse, but either way, uh, we'll be there. Um, also, um, since record, since the last set of episodes came out, I've had three comics come out. So Hill to Cry Home, Petal Burn, and Bones of the Sea um, should be available from my store. Uh, Bones of the Sea definitely will be, but um, Petal Burn and Hill to Cry Home might have sold out by then because uh, I didn't make many of them <laughs> rather than being super popular. Um, but thank you very much for coming on, Anthony. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I need to come up with a snappier way of closing down episodes than just sort of rambling on. Um, Maybe you should come up with like a catchphrase or something like that. Like, um, yeah. Like you could say something like, you know, don't forget to alpha or something like that you know <laughs> don't, don't alpha before your flight or something like that <laughs> just kind of some, some kind of like uh some kind of like you know slogan or something like that and I, think always don't alpha. Alpha. <laughs> I think don't alpha before you flight might go on a t-shirt um, <laughs> <laughs> um, right well thank you uh and i hope that uh, anybody listening will join me again on another episode of Alpha Pod Flight. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>